Well, good morning. Let's get rocking and rolling here on a bright, sunny morning. It was supposed to be pouring rain, and I know it did last night, but I, I, every time the sun comes out from behind a cloud and shines through that window, I don't know about you, but I love it. It happened when Matt, Maddie and I were rehearsing this morning, and it happened, and it always just kind of, I'm going to word this probably horribly, but it always just kind of deepens my worship because I, I know it has nothing really to do with it, but I feel like God's happy with my worship when I feel the sun shine through that window on my face. Is he happy with my worship? Yeah, I'd like to think he is, no matter if it's raining, snowing, sunny, foggy, whatever. But, but see, right now, isn't that just so cool? I love it. Let's get started this morning. We're going to be in First Thessalonians. We're going to, over the next uh, uh, couple of months here, uh, leading up uh, through, through January, February, and probably part of March, uh, we're going to look through the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, so you can uh, you can be reading through that and preparing for that. Hopefully you do a, a devotional. And if you do, why not add reading a little bit of First Thessalonians to it? And then you can be beating me each week uh, as, we, as we go through it. I'm going to be honest with you guys. For a long time in my life, my dad hates it when I say that line. Because he goes, it means you've been lying to us the rest of the time. I'm going to tell you something about myself. Is that better? For the longest time, I hated the first half or so of most of Paul's epistles. The first half of the first chapter, sorry, excuse me. The first half or so of the first chapter of Paul's epistles uh, because I went, what am I supposed to take out of this? He's just saying hi. And then he gets into the real good stuff. So when I would be reading through a book, I would skip it. Sometimes I'd skip the whole first chapter. It's like skipping the whole first half hour, 45 minutes of the movie. You don't know what's happening. And as I grew older, I realized, you know, there's a ton of incredible truth and, and things that you take out of the very beginning of what Paul says and other uh, uh, writers. And I'm speaking specifically of the letters. You know, I'm not talking about Acts or, or the, uh, the, the Gospels or something like that. I'm talking specifically of the letters that are written that we have in, in Scripture. And um, as I've grown, I've learned that there's a ton we can take out of it. So maybe you were or are like me, and you just kind of gloss over the very beginning of the letter. Hopefully today I can uh, curb you of that a little bit, because we're going to take a look at the whole first chapter of Thessalonians, and you might go, oh, pastor, a whole chapter today? You can get long-winded as it is. Don't worry, the whole first chapter is only 10 verses. That's why we're doing the whole first chapter. Let's read it. First Thessalonians chapter 1. It'll be up there as well. First Thessalonians chapter 1. It reads, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to a God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's, uh, let's dive into this, pick it apart a little bit. That first verse there, that's your common greeting. Back then, that's how you wrote a letter, right? Today we say, dear blah, blah, blah. This is the dear part of it. You would state who you are, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Great. You would state who you're writing to, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose authority are you writing? You'll notice that Paul doesn't ever write in his own authority. It is always in the authority of God. He sometimes says God the Father. He sometimes says Jesus Christ. He sometimes says both. But it's never in his own authority. He's writing because of the authority given to him by somebody else. Jesus Christ. And then grace to you and peace. That's your common greeting. Let's dive into the uh, verses 2 through 10 there. Number one on your note sheet if you have it. Number one, pray for each other. Pray for each other. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. He continues on after that a little bit for the next couple of verses as well. But the first thing he wants the church in Thessalonica to know, we're praying for you. Above everything else, he's going to dive into some deep theological things here that we're going to try to unpack later on throughout this letter. But the very first thing he wants them to know, we pray for you. There are people in this world who are praying for you. Church, if I may be so bold to ask a question, why don't we pray for other churches? We tend to, instead of praying for them, and by we, I am including us, but I'm saying Christianity as a whole here. We tend to, instead of lifting each other up and praying for each other, uh, try to tear them down. You know, we say, oh, I can't believe those Baptists over there. We're Baptist. Oh, I can't believe the Presbyterians or the Methodists or the Episcopals or the Catholics. I can't believe they're doing this and that and this and that. Okay. But Paul says, we're praying for you. I want to encourage you this morning, pray for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. They need it. Months ago, over a year ago, I preached a message that prayer is our most powerful form of worship. It's the most powerful tool, the, most, the best tool in your, quote, spiritual tool belt. You get to talk to the creator and the sustainer of everything. The God who knows all things, is all powerful, is everywhere at once. You get to talk to him like he's standing next to you. He is standing next to you because he's everywhere. But you don't have to get on your knees and do this, oh, God, our Father. You don't have to be eloquent. You can just say, hey, God, today has been a little rough. Let me tell you about my day. He knows about your day, but he wants to hear it anyway. We get to pray to him just to talk to him. Why don't we use it more often? 
And not just for ourselves, but especially for other Christians. Now, yes, the Bible says to pray for those who persecute you and such. I'm not, today, I'm not talking about praying for our enemies. We've talked about that before, and you should be doing that. But we're not talking about that today. Today, I'm specifically focusing on praying for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. They need it. Desperately, they need it. You need it. Desperately, you need it. So why are they any less? There are other places in Scripture where Paul says, well, you know, I pray for you daily and such. You might say, Pastor, how am I supposed to pray for everybody daily? That's a ton. You're right. I'm going to tell you how, how I pray. You don't have to follow my example. I'm not God. I'm not telling you I have it perfect. But I want to tell you how I pray. I have two prayer lists. I have one. It's smaller. I pray for that, the everything on that list, every day. They get prayed for every day. It's people, it's situations, it's places, every single day. Then I have a second longer one, and I kind of cycle through it. Unless I feel when I'm praying that God says, you need to pray for this person or for this situation. And then I pray for it. So, you know, I might not pray for the same person every day. It might be every three days that that specific person gets prayed for, that specific situation. But I'm praying for it anyway. But they're in my prayers. You see, so oftentimes in Christianity today, when somebody comes to you with a problem, you say, oh, yes, brother, I'll pray for you. And then you go home, and two weeks later, you meet them again, and they go, oh, thank you, the situation, it, this happened, this happened. And you go, see, isn't God so good? And you didn't say a lick. But Paul here, Paul and Sylvanius and Timothy, I get the feeling that when they say we pray for you, they mean it. When Paul looked at somebody and said, I will pray for you, I don't think he stopped. I think he prayed immediately and then he continuously prayed. So that's the first thing we need to take out of this is pray for the people around you. Pray for the brothers and sisters around you. They need it. I don't care if it's the church that's a few doors down this way. I don't care if it's the Methodist church, if it's the Episcopal church, if it's South New Milford, if it's any of the five Bridgewater campuses, if it's the Methodist church in Halstead, the Presbyterian church in Halstead, the, the, the Catholic church over in Great Bend. I don't care who it is. Pray for them because we're all working towards that same goal. We may not like the way that they go about it, but we're all supposed to be following the same thing. And while you're at it, pray for this church too. It's part of it. Now, why is it so important? So number one is pray for each other. Number two there is sound forth. In verse eight, he says, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. He talks about it a little bit in a few verses before that as well. Here's what's happened. When Paul and whoever was with him Go to Thessalonica. They spread the word. And people stop following idols and start following God. They followed him so wholeheartedly, so strongly, that it has started to spread. Let me put it in, in, in our context right here today. Let's say that out of this church, more and more people in New Milford start getting saved. And, and, and so Macedonia and Achaia, uh, they are, they are our, our Halstead, our Great Bend, our Montrose, okay? Susquehanna even. And they hear about this church and what's happening over there in little old New Milford. And they're going, wow, that's cool. Look at that. 
But Paul says, listen, it didn't stop there. It kept going. So instead of just stopping within this little 10, 15, 20 mile radius, now it's gone to Great Bend, or to, to Binghamton and to Scranton and down to Wilkes-Barre and maybe up to Syracuse. It's spreading because word of mouth happens because Maddie here says something to somebody who says something to somebody who says something to somebody. And it keeps going. And let me tell you this, on top of it, Wilkes-Barre is statistically an unreached people group. We talk about it in Mexico and in, in Africa in China and all these Asian countries. 45 minutes away, you have an unreached people group in Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, you don't get the fanfare of coming home from Africa when you go down there. But you know what? Maybe restored church down there, maybe they need a little bit of push to hearing that First Baptist Church in New Milford is on fire for God. And they're going, look, they're on fire. Let's renew our fire. Or the churches in Binghamton or even further. You never know what's going to happen. But what's happened here is the word has gone forth. And Paul is saying we go to other cities and they've already heard of what we do. Of who we are. And there are people there that are already open because of you. Not because of what we have done or said. Because of you. Because of your testimony. Friday. Thursday. Excuse me. Thursday. I was here uh, and, and while school was going on, and um, I was in the office, in the school office, and there were a few students in there, and somebody said, you know, I'd love to hear your testimony, talking to one of the other students. And that student responded to the other student, well, I'd like to hear yours, and she goes, well, no, mine's not, mine's not really anything. There's, I, you know, I haven't done anything. And I turned to her, and I said, what do you mean your testimony's not anything? And she goes, well, I never really did anything bad in my life. And I said, you were on your way to hell. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't care if the worst thing you ever did was tell a little white lie. From the moment you were born, you have been on your way to hell. And Christ pulled you out of it. That is your testimony. And it's the same as everybody else's testimony. And your testimony carries no less weight than anybody else's. I don't care if you, have, uh, if you are like, oh, yes, God pulled me out of drinking. That's great. Your testimony is no stronger than somebody who says, I was pulled out of depression. I was pulled out of this. I was pulled out of that. Our testimonies mean different things to different people. My testimony of coming from a broken family, of dealing with depression, can help certain people. But there are other people who don't fight that. So they can go, ooh, isn't that so great? But it doesn't resonate with them. Meanwhile, your testimony, while you're dealing with drugs or, or, or alcohol or whatever it be, or anger or, or whatever, that resonates with them. Their testimonies go forth. I want to encourage you this morning. Do not be afraid to share your testimony because you never know who needs it. You never know who needs to hear what you went through. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying you should share every tiny little detail with your life with every person that you meet. I have three or four people that I share things with that everybody else doesn't hear about. Be it a sin, a sin that I'm struggling with in that, in that point in time or, or, or whatever it be. I have three or four people. But you know what? I'm all right. If somebody wants to, to ask me, I'm all right telling them that when I was 15 years old, I tried to kill myself. I'm all right telling them that for five years I had a porn addiction. I'm all right with telling them certain things because God pulled me out of it and said, I'm not done with you yet. You're still mine. You will always be mine. I'm all right with telling people that my mother left when I was eight years old. I've talked to so many kids who are in the same situation 
And yes, it sucked then, and to be honest, it sucks now that my mother decided to leave. It's way better because Annette's around, and that's so much better than, than, than anything I could have imagined. But it's still hard. There are still days when I go, why? But I know why. And I know how God has used it to speak to other people. I'm all right telling people certain things. And I have a rule of thumb when I'm talking to teenagers and youth or adults. You can ask me any question that you want to. I reserve the right not to answer the question. But you can ask me any question and you won't get shame. You won't get ridiculed. You won't get anything from me except an honest answer. And yes, I don't tell sixth graders as much that certain things, or I don't go as deep into certain things with sixth graders as I do with 12th graders. You do have to be a little bit discerning on certain things. But I'm here to tell you that your testimony has power. No matter what deep, dark hole you think Christ pulled you out of, he pulled us all out of the same hole. It was the hole in which we were going straight down to hell, and he said, I'm not done with you. You're mine, and he pulls us out of it. And that's your testimony. And these people in Thessalonica, they have obviously been willing to share what God has done. Look at the idols I used to worship. Look at what I used to do. But God, this guy comes and shows me what truth is, what love is. Not what love is, who love is. And I changed. Here's the other thing. Your testimony is really important. But your words won't mean much unless you show your actions too. They go hand in hand. You see, the people in Thessalonica could be like, oh yes, Paul and Timothy and Sylvanius and whoever, they all came and it was great. And look at the lives we've changed. We're following God now. And if they hadn't changed anything, everyone else that had heard would go, all right, so they're the same people, so why bother changing? Right? What's the point? But because they had changed physically what they were doing and they had spoken their word forth, Paul and Sylvanius and Timothy are going around and they get to a city and they go, we've heard of you guys. And yeah, some people would be upset and mad, but there are some who go, we've heard of you. Tell me about this Jesus. It's huge. Sound forth about Christ. Really, in all of Scripture, Paul might have the, quote, best testimony. How often do we hear him talk about it in, in the ways of, look at me? No, it's always, look at God, look at God, look at God. So what can we pull out of the first chapter of Thessalonians? Pray for the people around you daily. Pray for them. You might say, well, pastor, Paul and those guys, they had it easy. They had to walk everywhere. They had all kinds of time to pray. So do you. You drive to work, pray then. You're doing something around the house, pray then. Right? We, we try to make excuses, but once you start actually looking at it, those excuses start going away, and you realize, you know, they're just excuses. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but... They're still just excuses. So pray for each other and two, tell people. Don't be afraid to tell people what Christ has done in your life. I'm not the same man I was 10 years ago at 15. I'm not the same man I was five years ago at 20 and Lord willing, I won't be the same man tomorrow that I am today. And I'm so thankful for that and I should be willing to share it with anybody who asks. And you know what? Even those that don't. They should see it too. The first chapter of Thessalonians, it can be easily skipped. Oh yeah, pray. That's good. I'm glad that Paul prayed for them. Are you? 
I'm glad that the people in Thessalonica are sounding forth. Yeah, that's good. Are you? The world's the same as it was then. The way that evil presents itself might, has, might have changed, but evil is still evil. Good is still good. God is still God. Christians are still Christians. So why should we be any different than what they were? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come together and worship you and praise you. Father, I ask first off that we would pray for those around us. I ask, Father, that we would put aside our petty differences, our petty arguments, our petty issues, and go, you know what? They're, if they're working towards the goal of seeing lives come to Christ, I should be praying for them too that they would do it. And if they're not, I should be praying that that becomes their goal. And then, Father, I ask that you would help us to stand to, to sound forth. It can be scary when you're talking to somebody and you're going, oh, man, what are they going to think of me? But you know what, God, I ask that you would give us boldness in the face of that. Your boldness. Father, it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen. Amen.